This is Pete Moore wanted to officially announce the release of Time to Win Again, 52 takeaways from team sports to ensure your business success. I wrote this book over the last year. I think you're going to love it. Good to great meets Where's Waldo. Pick them up for your team. Time to win in 2022. Happy to come to your club, your studio, your company, and talk about ways we can optimize business and win going forward. Go Halo. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing Dr. Michelle Lynn Seeger from Michigan directly into the Halo sector with a book and content that is much needed. The Joy Choice, how to finally achieve lasting changes in eating and exercise is something that everyone needs to start to focus on post-pandemic. So, Doctor, good to have you on the show and look forward to uh, the book launch. Oh, great. Thanks. It's so wonderful to be here. Awesome. So uh, obviously, the uh, I think the average weight gain over the pandemic was somewhere between 20 to 25 pounds. Uh, the bricks and mortar locations are now just celebrated their Independence Day from masks. So no one has an excuse for not getting back into their uh, routine. So maybe talk first about your background, um, why you spent the last couple of years, you know, making sure that this content and these life choices are, are easily um, laid out and people can start to have the uh, sustainable change that they're looking for. Sure, absolutely. And yes, it has been a trying, it has been a devastating time um, for people in the industry. And it's so great that we're starting to come out of it. Um, my background is, is in how to create sustainable um, what typically are called healthy behaviors, but I refer to them as self-care behaviors like exercise and healthy eating, getting enough sleep. And I call them self-care behaviors because ultimately isn't that what we're trying to do with these behaviors? Um, so I've been studying these questions uh, both as a, from an academic research perspective, but most importantly, as a health coach, I've been working with people in the true nitty gritty of their lives um, in ways that the academic research can't reach. So I'm excited to talk to you about what I've learned from this both bottom up and top down perspective that can hopefully help your listeners better engage and inspire and, and keep the members that they're aiming for the other 80 percenters. If I, is that way, is that the term? Yeah, we've got 80 percenters that we're trying to get under our yes. healthy, active lifestyle. You, you use a couple of words that not many people do when they think about eating and exercising, you, you talk about conflicts. So kind of maybe rewind and take us back to, you know, how you came to that term, because it's definitely stronger than what people typically use. Sure. You know, the, the deal is, is that most people have tried so many times over the last decade, many decades to people, I'm talking about consumers, members, clients, try to change their behavior and exercise more, exercise regularly. But ultimately what happens, and this happens often, is we face an unexpected conflict or challenge to what we had planned to do. We thought we were going to get to the gym for that class at, right after work, but our boss knocks on the door and comes in and just derails that class we were hoping to get to. Or on an eating perspective, we 
you know, we're following a plan. We thought the restaurant we were going to um, with our family was going to have that salad bar closed. What do we do? So I call these conflicts because they are what we bump up against all the time. And it, and people pretty much because we've all been taught to have all or nothing thinking when it comes to healthy eating and exercise, the nothing takes over and then people feel like failures and the whole behavior change project gets derailed. So that's why I'm proposing that we've got to focus on how and more adaptive, positive and effective ways to navigate these conflicts, because that is what determines whether we stick with these changes over time or not. Yeah, sure. I mean, in the book, you use the term POP or pop with the pause, open up, play, you know, talk us through how that acronym kind of came to being and, and how people implement it. Sure. Um, so what you're referring to is the pop decision tool. And here's, here's how I think about it. We let's go back to the example of that exercise plan that, and our boss walks in and guess what? Our bubble, our exercise bubble gets burst by our boss. We can't do what we had planned to do. Conflict. Uh Uh-oh. How can we reframe this so we can actually harness our innate um, brain self-management system to do this right? Well, let's call it a choice point. It didn't happen to us. It's not a barrier. Let's call this a choice point where we have an opportunity to make a choice that keeps us on track. And the way we do that is We have to understand how the brain works. I'm not going to go into that right now, but I created an acronym that is easy for people to to remember at these choice points. And so instead of letting life or your boss burst your exercise bubble, guess what? You're going to take charge and you're going to pop it yourself so that you can do something instead of nothing. And popped is when we pause. Why do we pause? Well, that actually lets us harness our attention and and not be in a reactive mode, um, but be in a thoughtful, intentional mode. And pausing lets us do that. Then once we go, okay, this is a choice point. What else could I do? Well, that's the next step. It's open up your options and play. And, And we can play and create a bunch of options. What could we do? Let's just Really quickly, I haven't thought of this before. Let me come up with a few options we can open up and play with. Well, we could go to part of the class. Who cares if we walk in late? Mm -hmm. We could go to the gym and do something else anyway. We could walk outside. We could decide to go home early and and nab a couple of kids and take a, a, a run. There are so many different opportunities and possibilities, but instead of thinking about is success or fail. Let's think about it in with curiosity and play with them. And then the third step of pop, well, we need another P, what is it? We're going to pick the joy choice. And that is the name of my book. And the reason why I am calling the imperfect option or what I call the perfect imperfect option, the joy choice, because Geez, OPs, if we can do something instead of not nothing, not only is that a success, but it lets us keep us in sync in some way, shape, or form with our self-care, which then lets us stay more in sync with the things we care most about. So let's yeah. pop our plan. Let's pop our plan so we can do something instead of nothing. Yeah, I think um, you have a lot of people that say, well, if I can't get to the gym for 45 minutes or an hour, 
then it's basically not Why bother? You know, a, a robust workout, so I'll just skip it. Or you have somebody that says, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a couple minutes late for that class. I don't necessarily, you know, want to walk in and, and, you know, potentially embarrass myself or, you know, feel like I'm, I'm somehow disrespectful, you know, so maybe there should be more encouragement to have people come in whenever they want to um, and take away some of the stigmas related to it and kind of, you know, having more of an a la carte. Absolutely. I mean, imagine the difference if there were signs above the exercise classrooms that say, come on in anytime, because anything is always better than nothing. So how easy would that be to implement? Think about that from a messaging perspective. Yeah, I think the, um, yeah, I used to do a lot of soul cycle classes and, you know, there is something about getting into a rhythm and not being you know, disrupted. So I think maybe spin classes are one thing because it's yes. dark room and people are in a zone. Yes. But if you take a look at 80% of the classes, they're done with the lights on, they're done in a functional training area. There's really no reason why somebody can't just come in whenever they want. And almost like a, you know, we used to use this term back in camp. It's kind of like free play. Yes. Um, you know, so whenever you're available, just, just kind of step in and, you know, we might do arts and crafts one day. We might play a little ultimate Frisbee. I'm going to throw out some other things I like to do, flag football, tackle football. So uh, I hear you on that. You know, as part of your research, you kind of, um, you, you spend a fair amount of time uh, either quoting or, or hearkening back to research by uh, Kurt Lewin. With every choice, there's a driver. You know, give us a little bit of descriptor related to what you think the key drivers are. The key drivers related to, it's easier to do nothing than do something. Um, you know, if I have an opportunity to be lazy, let me be lazy. Um, you know, what, what are like the, 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 the root cause or, you know, the essence of the essence, you know, about those. So, you know, it's, it's never too late to circle back and find the best, the best ideas that can help people succeed long-term and can help gyms thrive long-term. And Kurt Lewin is one of these people who had amazing ideas. And this space, we're going to talk about the driver and disruptor, but this space is referred to a life space. So let's go back to the original example, because I think it's really helpful. We're at the point we can't go, we can't get to on time to our class. That's a choice point. Right in that moment is the is, is a decision and a choice that how are we going to address this choice point? And according to Lewin, we bring our whole life space to that. And so the life space isn't just that class that was 60 minutes or the fact that our boss needs us, but it's our past experiences coming in late to a class or deciding not to go to a class. It's our mood at the moment. It's the to-do list that we have to do when we're with our families. We bring everything to that moment of choice. And so he says there are drivers and there are also disruptors to the choice to do something instead of nothing. And so what's a driver? Well, I want to do something instead of nothing. I want to, I want to slay the all or nothing dragon that's been keeping me down for too many years. So that belief could be a driver. A driver could be, I've got friends that I know are going to wonder, why am I not in class? Um, but let's also think about overarching goals. Well, why am I trying to get to the class and how relevant and compelling is that? Now, I'm going to say something that might be controversial. I'll let you Um, know if I feel it is controversial. Okay. So a lot of people, as we know, join gyms because they're trying to lose weight. And in theory, that's 
people would call it a driver, but guess what? As I address in the book, it actually winds up being a huge disruptor to people's decisions on a daily basis to actually make it to the gym and to do their exercise. So People really need to understand, um, and I have a quiz that helps them on my website to determine what types of things are actually going to get in the way and disrupt their choice to do it. Got it. Well, you've got four disruptors listed in the book in different chapters. So we've got temptation, rebellion, accommodation, and perfection, correct? Yes. So if we think about temptation, you know, obviously there's a temptation to do something that's unhealthy. Yes. Um, there's also a temptation to say, hey, I want to be part of that group because as I've conditioned myself, I actually know how I'm going to feel afterwards. So yes. How does it do you, do you kind of help people flip the switch between yeah, working out? It's not as easy as sitting on your couch, but the temptation to remember how it feels afterwards. How, how do you how do you kind of. Well, that? That is why it's so important to understand whether which of the traps, temptation, rebellion, accommodation, or perfection are actually most going to get in your way. Because, for example, something that would absolutely not flip someone to go to the class is rebellion. So if someone's tempted to sit on the couch instead of go to their class, but they feel like it's a should, often which is linked back to trying to lose weight. Well, guess what? That temptation is going to beat out the driver to get to the class. So how do we flip it so that they're not tempted? Well, it's just as you said, what if people had other really compelling reasons for their daily quality of life to get to that gym? Those are the types of things to bring into your memory and to say to yourself, you know, yeah, I'm tempted to sit on the couch, but this is this helps me feel so much better that I'm going to go. Another thing people can do, and again, it may not be as relevant with a class, but if someone was planning to go to the gym and work out on a machine, for example, for a certain amount of time, sometimes to help people get over that temptation trap, instead of saying, okay, I'm tired, but I'm still going to do that 60 minutes. You could say to yourself, you know what? I'm tired today, but I still want to get to the gym. How about if I do a lighter workout for only 20 minutes? So the the, you know, the, the secret sauce that, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but the secret is that we have to teach people to, to be curious and do flexible thinking at these moments and get creative and play with the options instead of all or nothing thinking. We have got to slay that dragon because that is what's getting in people's way. Do you think that, um, and we've had several podcasts and, and discussions with, um, with prospective gym members that, you know, habitually go back and try and accomplish a goal that, that they don't deem is achievable or, or so robust that it's like, look, I don't know if I'm ever really going to get there. Is there maybe a more rudimentary way to think about this instead of saying to someone, Hey, I know you want to lose 25 pounds. However, instead of us setting that as a target or as a milestone or as like an achievement, I'm just, I just want you to do 30 minutes or 45 minutes in the gym five days a week. We're not actually going to set a goal because I know that if you just do this, you are going to achieve that goal. But instead of me putting out something that might be either intimidating or challenging or something that psychologically is a driver, you're like, look, I don't want to fail. So I'm just going to stop now. Does it, should we maybe start to talk about or change the narrative in the industry to say, this is what your daily goal should be. 
And like the, the long-term goal will kind of work itself out because if you do this, that's the result. That so that's a great question. And we know the research really the it's just been mounting and mounting and mounting that shows that when we can help people understand the immediate positive experience they have, that could be enjoyment, it could be social time with friends, connection with family, better mood, whatever the positivity is, that is what drives ongoing participation. So we want even more than necessarily focus on the logistics of the time. Now that's important to have a plan, but we what we want is we want to help people uh, rethink the role that physical activity and exercise has in their lives. And we absolutely want them to think about how it's going to help them feel better the day they do it, when they do it and the day they do it. And that's one key reason why um, what they do can't be punishing because that is going to be a formula for getting them off the track. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one of the four disruptors you talk about is perfection. Um, every time I do a spin class, I usually do one spin class with this guy named Connor and it's called, uh, be imperfectly, uh, perfect, you know, and it basically like, that's his whole theme throughout the, uh, the sprint. Do you think after COVID people have maybe taken a little bit of a dose of like, Hey, I'm alive. I made it through COVID, you know, perfectly imperfect is good, but I also have these, these goals that I want to hit. And I'm going to work towards them, but maybe I'm not going to be as hard on myself. I absolutely think people are ready for the perfect and perfect option. But I do have to say, um, gyms um, and the fitness industry more generally play are going to play a huge role of whether people are able to take that up or not and really internalize it. So I believe that this is a time of reckoning for the industry and that whether or not the industry is going to step up to the plate and deliver the new messages that are going to help people change their belief systems about this. Because I can tell you from working with people for almost 30 years, the idea of perfection and perfectionism when it comes to exercise is so deeply embedded that I can show them all the research in the world that shows that anything is better than nothing when it comes to exercise and that doing something will help them stay consistent and achieve their goals. They still tell me, I hear what you say, Michelle, I believe it, but guess what? I don't, or they say, I believe what you're telling me, but I don't want to believe it. So people feel like it's dumbing down what they should be doing. And unfortunately, this belief system is so embedded, it ranks up there with what's called um, a cognitive distortion. So mm -hmm. it is time for the industry to to step out with new messaging that is going to help our want, our wannabe 80 percenters rethink relearn and 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 re-experience physical activity in ways that is going to help them understand that the perfect imperfect is got to be good enough because get guess what it's really what most only what most people can do so if we talk about a realistic goal that's a realistic goal and if we get people if we can't get people away from their aspirations that are not realistic not only are they going to fail but our industry is going to fail at what it now really deeply wants to achieve, which is bringing those other 80 percenters in. Gotcha. You know, when you talk to people that, you know, that go to the, the gym or start to work out regularly um, and they come back to you and they say, you know, Dr. Seeger, I've been doing this for three or four weeks. I kind of feel better, but I look in the mirror and I kind of see the same person. Um, how do you kind of address the fact that, you know, you're not going to see change overnight. 
you know, you have to know that you're working towards a goal and it has to turn into your routine. Um, and, and also do you recommend second part of the question is, do you recommend people write down a journal of what they're doing? Do you think that, you know, them knowing that they worked out a certain amount of times a week. And one of the other points before you answer that is when you survey members to say, how many times have you gone to the gym last month? You know, they usually think it's more than they actually did when you look right. at their data. So right. maybe just a, a pine on that, even though it's somewhat of a three-part question. Sure. So the first part has to do with, so, you know, personal trainers, when I speak to personal trainers or I train them in my methods, they always say to me, but my clients want to lose weight. What do I do? Right. Because I'm proposing that we, we ask people to stop focusing on their body shape and weight when they are trying to develop a lifelong relationship with physical activity. It's not unlike, you know, I, you just dating the hot guy versus the long-term relationship that you truly want. There's a time for the dating, right? But at some point you're like, okay, I want a lifelong relationship here. So what we need to do is, is, is I'm going to leave that dating analogy, even though it's a really fun one, but we need to say to people, have you felt this way before that you look at yourself in the mirror and you're kind of, you're disappointed where you are, but you notice that you're feeling better and everyone's probably going to say yes. And you say, and let me ask you something. Has that led you to long-term success to continue to focus on that? And guess what? Everyone's going to say no, most people anyway. So given that, would you like to try a different approach to becoming a consistent, physically active person and taking better care of yourself that actually the science shows is actually going to help you be successful. Most people, when they are asked to think about it this way, are like, yeah, I'm tired of failing. And yeah, why would I keep doing the same thing that's led to that? So that's my first answer. The second answer about journaling. So we need people to rethink this and it's, we have to, we're going to have to teach our employees and our personal trainers, new ways of talking. We need, we're going to have to market things in new ways. So we, that is how we have to change. We have to flip the switch that is in people's brains. And I'm going to say this again, this is a time of reckoning for the fitness industry. And it's time for the industry to step up to the plate with new messages Mm -hmm. across the board from onboarding to personal training sessions. And if this doesn't happen, you are not going to achieve your goals. Okay. Now let me get off my soapbox and get back to your second question. Stay on it. Stay on it. So Journaling. Sure. If, if someone's inclined to journal, that's a great thing. You know, there was once an app, I forgot it was called, but every day I, 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 it was a, some smile, a continuum of smiley faces. And I had an opportunity, you know, Hey, you, you know what you guys, you guys could make an app that you could send to your easily with smiley faces. And then you ask people to pick from a sad face, five point scale to a happy face. How do you feel right now? And then you ask them, did you exercise today or not? And that is an awesome way to help people really recognize um, that they tend to feel better on the days that they exercise than compared when they don't. Right. And um, your third question, which I was actually really excited to get to, and now I forgot what it is. Can you remind me what your third question Steve, is? Steve, you remind us since we're, we're ratcheting through here. I'm sorry. That was, it was, uh, I lost track of it too. I was excited when Michelle had a three part, had a three part question that turned into a two part question and one behind door number three. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to it. I'm okay. sure. <laughs> I think it was, I, I think it was just about, yeah, I think it was, I think it was about, you know, not being able to see the change right away 
and, and, you know, trying to figure out how to motivate someone knowing that they're on a path, but not necessarily a visual path. For so themselves. They, you have to emphasize the path is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I do presentations about this or keynotes, I have a visual that helps people really get that the journey just has millions of choice points. And it's not high stakes. We don't, we don't need every choice point to be this, oh my gosh, it's this high stake decision. No, when you've got millions of choice points, when you can do it, you do it. And taking that pressure off, it also lets people think more clearly. And again, harness our brain's innate management system to help us make the choice that's in our best interest. And guess what? Sometimes the choice is not to go to the gym and oh, <gasps> Oh my gosh, did I really say that? Right. That's what we have to teach people that it is okay to make the per the perfect imperfect choice. And sometimes the right one, the joy choice, is not to go to the gym because there's just something more important to do today. And when it's not high stakes, guess what? People get right back on and 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 right back on the horse or the bike and they start over because there's no failing in that paradigm. Right. So, you know, the book's going to launch. Do do you have a a tour that you're going on? Is there, you know, Zoom set up? How how you plan on doing this? And what do you think the best way for us to help you kind of infiltrate the people that are actually on the front lines here, as you use in your your book, um, that are actually going to affect change and actually going to say, hey, maybe there's a different way for me to approach my clients, or maybe there's a different level of empathy, or maybe there's certain questions I should be asking that have that elicit a response that's almost a rhetorical. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking. I'm so excited about helping professionals figure out how to implement these ideas in really easy, straightforward ways so they can be more successful with their clients in the gyms can um, thrive instead of just survive. So uh, I have a pre-order opportunity on my website right now, which is michelleseeker.com until, and it's good until um, 1159 on April 25th, um, which is the day before my official publication date. If people pre-order, they get to participate in my live, but will also be recorded in case it's inconvenient for people's schedules, Mm -hmm. four session book club where people, where we're going to be able to talk about these things. I'm currently designing a really interactive experience that's going to be thought-provoking, fun, but very um, um, useful so that people can leave knowing not only how they can use this information in their work, but for the individuals who are participating, how they can use it in their lives. Um, I also have a quiz that they can send their clients to at any time. This is, uh, you know, on my website and here's how professionals in the fitness industry can use it. They will have, they can have their clients take the quiz. It's free. There's absolutely no commitment whatsoever. And um, it goes back to trap and it will assess that four areas to help the individual or the client or the member member identify what their biggest traps are to their uh, making the, ch- the joy choice at these choice points or conflicts. And then 
because the questions are there and the readout is there, the professional can act, they can have their um, client printed out and bring it into the gym. And they can start talking about these things that are trapping them and preventing them from being successful. So it is a tool. While I don't explicitly say how it can be used for the fitness industry, I'm explaining verbally now how people could use it in their work with personal training clients or um, other uh, people. That's great. So um, congratulations on, on the upcoming book launch. Look forward to seeing you in person. Uh, if you can come to uh, one of our uh, industry events, it's going to be in uh, in Miami uh, in June with URSA. Uh, it would be a great place for you to uh, spread the gospel on this. And um, look, I think every um, every book, every anecdotal story, you know, is going to help somebody. And, you know, what we're trying to do here in the halo sector to repeat or for all listeners is, you know, eradicate obesity, diabetes, and loneliness. And I think getting more people in a healthy mindset, getting people to make the right choices at the right time and live their life with joy and less stress, you know, one by one, it's almost, uh, you know, manual weapons of mass destruction to all these different ailments that people have to deal with. So appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, welcome back to the entire Halo sector, bricks and mortar, virtual. Pick your, pick your choice of a healthy habit. And uh, <laughs> great, uh, great to, uh, to to talk to you again. And uh, excited for all the people you're going to touch. Thank oh, you yeah. so much. It was a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks.